Good morning, everybody. Glad you guys are here on this gorgeous summer day. Uh, I want you to do a couple things. Grab your phones if you've got them with you and turn those puppies off. And grab your bulletin real quick and let me cover a few announcements with you. If you're visiting today, really glad that you are here. And I know sometimes going to a new church is uh, perhaps a little bit of a scary experience. I hope you feel welcomed. I know how much we are really appreciative that you'd, be, that you'd come today. And there's a communication card in the bulletin. If you feel comfortable doing so, fill that out with as much information as you'd like to provide us. And I'd love to send you a letter this week. And we just want to let you know that we're here to serve you and to help you get connected so, and answer any questions you may have. So use that. And at the end of the service, drop it in the uh, offering bags as they come by. And also prayer request as well. There's a spot on here where you can say, I like, it says, I like prayer for, and put anything you need and uh, write it in there as best you can. And, and that'll go to our prayer team this week, and we'll be praying for you guys as well. There's also a single parent pantry essential needs list in there. And uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, every week we have uh, single moms, some single dads, but mostly single moms come through. And I think over the last couple of weeks, over 50 single moms have come through and have used the pantry. So uh, when you bring stuff and you buy an extra item and put it in the, the shopping cart out there, which, by the way, we didn't steal. They gave it to us. But if you, um, if you, when you put it in the shopping cart out there, uh, that's what stocks those shelves that we can bless and give away uh, so much to the single moms that we have. And speaking of giving away and what we do around here, I just, you know, I think it take about 30 seconds to dial up for you. We're about people here at East Point, and uh, the 50 moms or so that have been helped in the last couple of weeks were blessed by you. Uh, we've got 100 or so junior high and high school kids that will show up this week in our refuge ministry and will be uh, touched and blessed by our... Yeah. There they are, yeah. Uh, and I'm glad you guys stood up front and engaged in worship, too. I'm proud of you. But anyhow, it's fun to see what God's doing in that group, and it's growing, and amazing things are happening. And right now, uh, this Sunday morning, we'll have somewhere between 175 and 225 kids back in Adventureland. And lots of kids back there that are being invested into, and we've got a great curriculum. Our staff spends a lot of time preparing for them. Uh, the, you volunteers, you guys that help up, you, you know that, that it's not just babysitting that you go there to invest in their lives, and they've got a great craft that they have, and usually yummy snacks, which I try to rip off as often as possible. But all of that is happening, and all of it is happening around here because you guys are investing in our future and investing in our church. And so at the end of the service today, when that bag goes by, uh, I want to encourage you to give to invest in the ministries and the people that God's blessing here at East Point, and to give generously because it's your gifts that make it possible. And one last thing I want to mention I'm really excited about a week from today, next Sunday, We've got our water baptism Sunday, and uh, we do it about every three or so months. And we set up a tank right here. We heat the water so it's not freezing cold. And uh, we, uh, we will be baptizing a bunch of people in both services. And I want to encourage you, uh, today at 1030, after this service, at 1030, is the baptism class. And you're thinking, oh, man, it's too late for me. No, it's not. Oh, I got stuff to do. Cancel it. Just flake out. Don't go there. Well, I want you to go. If you've not been baptized in water as a Christ follower, I don't care if you've known Jesus for a week or for 30 years. If you've not been immersed publicly as an act of faith and declaration of your, your belief, your commitment to Jesus, I want to challenge you and encourage you to do so. And I want to ask you to make a decision to obey Jesus today. And some of you think, well, you know, I'll do it next time. You know what, maybe, what if there's not a next time? You know, do this and obey Jesus and you will get blessed. And you can do this after service is over Go grab a cup of coffee, hang out for a little bit, and then go to the training center, which is the class uh, all the way to that corner of, of the building, of our area of the building right now. And at 1030 is a class for you. It's, about, it's not that long. They cover what's going to happen, what you need to know. They share a little bit, and then you'll be all ready to go for baptism next Sunday. I want to encourage you to do that. It's not too late. You can still go to the class today. And the next Sunday we've got them, and be praying for the people that are making decisions and going to do this. It's a fun time. 
Well, um, I'm going to jump into our message today. We've been uh, in a summer series called If I Should Wake Before I Die. And as I've said each week, but I need to say it each week because some of you are visiting or new here, that I'm not talking about death. This series is not about death. If I should die before I wake, the whole point is, what are the things that I want to, to accomplish? What are the things I believe God wants me to accomplish? What are the things I want my life to matter? How would I want to be remembered? And so it, this series really is about living, all about living in Jesus, living for him. And today we're going to zoom in on how to truly live free, how to live free from shame and guilt and disappointment and discouragement through the grace of God. Now, I'm going to be addressing those, for the most part, who have already made a decision to become Christ followers. Because a lot of us who are Christians, we have given our lives to Jesus, still don't get some of what I'm going to talk about today. Now, if you are investigating Christianity, I want you to listen as well. And what I'm going to talk about applies to you. But I just want you to see today that we can live. You, if you've not given your life to Christ, can begin your life today as a Christian and can live free from this moment on, from shame, from guilt, and from discouragement. And for those of you that have given your life to Jesus but still wrestle through these issues, I want to help you see today how you can get free from that, how you can live free. Many years ago when I pastored a smaller church in Portland, Oregon, it's a long time ago now, there was a guy who came to our church. Uh, I'll call him Arnie. It's not his real name. But Arnie came, and Arnie got uh, saved one Sunday. He came for months, sat in the back, uh, I would scoot in late, scoot out early. I never got to meet him. Finally, one day I did. And, and uh, then they came when Arnie gave his life to Jesus in one of our services, and he got radically saved. I mean, Jesus got a hold of that guy's life, and, and he, he, brother, he got saved. It was awesome to watch. But one of the things that Arnie wrestled with for a long time, even after he gave his life to Jesus, was he wrestled with shame. He wrestled with guilt. He knew that God forgave him and that he was going to go to heaven. He got that, but he still walked with this cloud, this guilt and the shame over him all the time. And it had to do with something that he happened in his life. And the reason I call him Arnie, that's not his real name, and even though he died several years ago and is with Jesus now, Arnie was a registered sex offender. He did time for having sex with a 16-year-old young girl and got busted for it and went to prison for that. And uh, when he started coming to church, he was desperate for, for hope, desperate for something that he, he, he hadn't found anywhere. And the day he gave his life to Jesus, he could hardly believe that Jesus loved him. That was the big challenge. But it was struggle for him to believe that he really was able to live free, free from that. Now, to the day that he died, he lived as a registered sex offender in the state of Oregon. But in the Father's eyes, he was a child of God. He was forgiven, completely and absolutely forgiven. Now, I use that story, and it's a true story, because, you know, we can believe that God can forgive a murderer, that God can forgive somebody who, you know, is a liar, a cheater, a, a thief. But a lot of us have a really, it stirs up a lot of emotion in us when we talk about child molesters. And even though the child he had sex with was 16 and not a 4 or 5 or 6-year-old, it still turns our stomach and we get angry. And we get frustrated. And we don't like to hear about God's forgiveness and grace in those situations. We think that, you know, okay, maybe, but it still doesn't sit well with us. And Arnie had the same problem. He wrestled for a long time, for a long, long time, believing that God truly had forgiven him and that he didn't have to live with guilt and shame. Some of us think that that kind of grace is ludicrous. It's ridiculous. That's not fair. That's not right. But I, for one, am glad that grace is not fair, that God is that good, that he loves us that much, and that when he saves us, he doesn't just patch up the old, but he gives us a new life. He doesn't just kind of slap a few bandages on the old Arnie, but he, he changed us from the inside out and gives us a brand new life in him. Too many Christ followers still live under the weight and oppression 
of thinking that they are a constant disappointment to God. Why do I say that? Because I deal with people like that all the time. I pray with them all the time. I talk to them all the time. I get their emails. I know God's forgiven me, but, and there's always a but, dot, dot, dot. And they live thinking that they are a constant disappointment to him. And that God, in fact, some even believe that God might be really ticked off at them because of their past or present struggles with sin. And listen to me, and I'm going to drill you, I'm going to pound this into your brains today. Nothing can be further from the truth. Nothing can be further from the truth. God loves you, and when you accept him, he gives you a brand new life in Christ. And I'm going to use that phrase, in Christ, several times as well today. And simply it means this, to be in relationship. The Bible talks about being in Christ, in Jesus. And when it says that, that phrase, it means that we are connected to him. Jesus used a picture in John 15 about the branch abiding in the vine. We're the branch abiding in the vine. Jesus is the vine. And it's being connected. It's being in relationship with him. It's being connected to him. In Christ is in relationship with him. And too many struggle to believe that, well, yeah, I might be there, but does God really love me? Does God really accept me? Does God still hold my sins against me? Now, he doesn't turn a blind eye to your sin, to your failures. And I'll talk about that briefly at the end of the service today. But he doesn't, listen to me, he does not see you or treat you with disgust or disdain. God does not look at you with contempt. If you're in Christ, you are accepted by him. There's this amazing story found in John chapter 8, and I'm going to read it to you this morning. And I love it because it is this incredible story of grace. It's a great example of the grace and the goodness of God. It begins in John 8, verse 2. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So he's in the temple courts in Jerusalem in the, at the synagogue. Basically, he's in church. And he sat down, took the traditional position of a teacher, and began to teach the people who were gathered around him. Verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, the law commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? Verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, there's a few things that strike me here. We'll pause and pick this up again. But first, where's the guy? Anybody? It bothers me a little bit. In fact, the law that they quoted, Leviticus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy, is very clear that both offenders, the man and the woman, are to be stoned. Well, somehow the guy got off the hook and they've got this woman only. And the other thing that really grabs my attention here is that these leaders didn't really care about her. Don't miss that. They didn't care about her. What they cared was they wanted to trap Jesus, get him in trouble with either the Jews or with the Romans. You see, if he was merciful and let this woman go, then he'd be in hot water with all the self-righteous religious right, the Jews of the day. They, they would be very upset. He's, he's breaking the law of Moses. How can he do that? So if he said, ah, just let her go, then he'd be in trouble with them. But if he said, yep, stone her, kill her, fulfill the law, the fulfillment of the law, take her out, kill her, then he'd be in trouble with Rome, the Romans, because the Romans occupying Israel and Jerusalem, Palestine at that time, they, would not, they did not allow the Jews to, to uh, kill people, to execute them for breaking their, their moral laws. And so Jesus was between a rock and a hard place. If he said, let her go, he's in trouble with the Jews. If he said, kill her, he's in trouble with the Romans. And that was their intent. But I love the wisdom of Jesus here. I love it. Let's read on. But Jesus bent down, bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Odd. Different. But they kept questioning him. And he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone who is of you without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. 
And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, we have no idea. It would just be pure speculation to try and figure out what Jesus wrote on the ground. Some have suggested that he was writing the commandments, maybe landing on one line out of the 10th commandment that says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. We don't know. Uh, I kind of like the idea that he's probably doodling in the dirt more than just a, you know, stick figures, that he's writing something that would have been an accusation uh, against those who were coming with their self-righteousness. But here's the wisdom. He did speak of throwing a stone. He said, those of you without sin, let him throw the first stone. And so he didn't break the law. He upheld the letter of the law. He spoke of throwing a stone. He also, and this is where his wisdom is, he, he, the requirement for throwing stone was perfection. He says, he is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And so in one just fell swoop, in just one moment, Jesus deals with this, this trap in this brilliant way by saying, yep, go ahead, stoner, if, if you're without sin. Let's pick it up, verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. <laughs> Why? Because they weren't without sin. Because, I, again, I, I suspect whatever he was doodling was pretty, pretty clear. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with a woman standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, and I think he said so with such compassion, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And maybe, you know, twinkle in his eye because he knows where he's going. And she said, no one, sir. And then, she, and then he said, neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go your way and leave your life of sin. Go your way and sin no more. The story of Jesus, the story of Jesus found in the Gospels is a story of grace. It's a story of how God takes people who are trapped by sin and he draws them near to himself. Now, guys, that's good news. Because every one of us has been trapped by sin. The story of grace, the story found in the Gospels of Jesus, we see it over and over again, is of God drawing people near to him, people who've been trapped by grace, and God accepting, Jesus accepting those who've been rejected by the self-righteous of the day, those who thought they were better than everyone else. And this story in John 8 is this incredible and amazing story of God's grace. And from this story, there's some things that we can learn about how to live free from shame, guilt, and discouragement. And here's the first thing, number one. Live confident in a God who's bigger than your mistakes. Live confident in a God who is bigger than your mistakes, than your failures, than your sins. Jesus was merciful and kind and gracious with this woman caught in the act. Can you imagine how she must have felt? I mean, just for a second, put yourself in her shoes. She's caught in the very act of adultery. Embarrassing. Then she's dragged into church. The temple courts, can you imagine if a bunch of guys dragged a woman in here and put her down front and said, Boobna, this woman's been caught in very, I mean, terrifying, embarrassing and terrifying. And they want to stone her. They, they want to take her out and kill her. But before the hour is over, with, in no time at all, Jesus becomes this brilliant giver of grace, this incredible giver of grace. And she becomes the recipient of grace in a way that must have shocked her. It must have blown her away. Again, Put yourself in her shoes. What is she thinking? And what's going on in her head? And now this thing, and Jesus is doodling, and she's without sin, throw the first stone, and she's terrified, thinking any minute she's going to get nailed with a rock. And next thing she knows, she sees in her peripheral vision, or hears these guys leaving. And then they're all gone, and Jesus says, oh, where are they? And she goes, I don't know. They're not here. And he says, well, I'm, I'm not going to condemn you either. Perhaps this woman, who's a Jewish woman, listening to this Jewish itinerant rabbi named Jesus what a thought of this psalm, Psalm 116. She'd heard the psalms many times. 116.5 says, The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. 
And that moment, maybe she's thinking, that's it. That's what I'm experiencing. I want to tell you something. I want you to listen carefully. You will not live com completely free until you realize how great and good God is and how much bigger he is than your mistakes. You will not live free from shame and guilt. No matter how long you've walked with Jesus and know him, you will not walk free of it until you realize how good and how big God is and how much bigger he is than your mistakes. And you cannot live free as if your soul focuses on you and your past or present mistakes. The accuser, the enemy, is the one who's constantly throwing your sin in your face. Who do you think you are? God's not going to love you. You're an idiot. Look at the stuff you're doing. Who, for heaven's sakes, don't go to God. Run from him. That's what we hear all the time from the accuser. And you're not going to live free as if your soul focuses on you and your past or present mistakes. You know, besides being human, how many of you are human? Let me see your hands. Besi a little worried about a couple of you. Besides being human, we all share this one fact. We all share this single greatest commonality, and here it is. We've all failed. We've all sinned. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. One of the things, you know, different backgrounds, different, you know, education, different histories, different perspectives on things from politics to the economy, all sorts of differences. But the one thing, besides being human, that we all share is that we've all failed, we've all sinned. And if God isn't bigger than our stumblings and our fumblings, then we're in trouble. We're all in trouble. And we might as well give up now because we have all failed. And here's a little other, another little insight. We will fail. But the good news is our freedom doesn't hinge on getting everything right. It doesn't hinge on our righteousness, but on him. And he's a God who's so big that what he starts in us, he'll finish. As long as we partner with him, what, we, what he has started in us, he will finish. Philippians 1.6, I love this verse. Paul wrote this to a church in Philippi, to people that he loved, and it's a letter of great joy, and he said this in verse 6, chapter 1. I am confident of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul said, I am confident. I am not self-confident. I am not you know, church in Philippi confident. I am confident in God. I have a God confidence that God who began a good work in you will bring it to maturity. He'll bring it home. He'll bring it to completion. We can be confident in God who finishes what he starts. What he started in you, he'll finish. Sometimes we strike out. I'm sure most of you have played softball or baseball at least once in your life. And I can remember some of my most embarrassing moments was striking out in front of all my friends and the guys I played with and Strike one. Come on, come on. You can do this, Boomer. You can do this. Strike two. Come on, come on, man. Hit the stinking ball. Strike three. You're out of here. And you walk away dejected and rejected and feeling stupid. We've all struck out. That's the truth. But here's the good news. God's never going to give up on you. And he's never going to quit on you. So don't quit on him. God's never going to say, you are such an idiot. You are. I cannot believe that you struck out. I cannot believe that you did. You, I, go to your room. God's never going to do that with you. You know, the Babe Ruth, most of you know who he is, hit 714 home runs in his career, without steroids, by the way. Yeah, pretty cool. Amazing. But do you know that he struck out over 1,300 times? Almost twice as many times as he hit a home run, the guy struck out. Now, what if he had quit? I, mean, I, I keep striking out. I'm just going to throw in the towel. Or what if his manager said, you are fired, you're kind, we don't want you anymore. Then one of the greatest baseball players to ever live wouldn't have become the greatest baseball player to ever live. We all strike out. 
And even though you and I still blow it, how many of you, now let's be honest, how many of you have sinned at least once in the last year? Okay, good. I didn't say day. I, didn't say, I could have said 24 hours and we all still would have raised our hands. Because our thoughts, our actions, our words, you know, so many ways that we blow it. But even though we still blow it, listen to me, as long as we still partner with God, we can be confident that what he started in us, he will finish. Now, the, our part's to partner with him, to walk with him. But it's only when we accept failure as final that we are doomed to live as a failure. And if you're writing notes, you might want to write that one down. It's only when we accept failure as final that we are doomed to live as a failure. And here's another little insight. I love this. I, I got this from somebody years ago. I don't know who. I can't give credit to him. But g- never put a period where God puts a comma. Isn't that good? I'm an idiot, period. Now, God might say, yep, that was a stupid thing, comma. Now let's move on. If you're in Christ, you're not a failure. That is not your identity. You are a child of God. You are a son or daughter of God. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a son or daughter of God. Go ahead, tell them. I know, you're not used to this. Tell them. You know why I had you do that? I know it's a little embarrassing. But the reason I had you do that is because for some, okay. I didn't say talk about what's for lunch. For some of you, that may be the first time you've heard that from another person in a long time. And what you've heard is the voice of accusation. You're a son of the Most High God. You're a daughter. That's your identity. That's what he sees when he looks at you. And your worth is not based on your performance. Can I get a hallelujah out of you? Your, your worth is not based on your performance. Never has been, never will be. It's based on the performance of one person, Jesus, on the cross. That's where your worth and your value comes from to God. So when you fail, and notice I said when, not if. When you fail, you need to trust the goodness of the one who has never failed you and will never fail you, and that he is more committed to your growth than you are. As a kid growing up in, in my household, my dad had high, extremely high standards, and I typically only felt loved and accepted when I got it all right, when I did it right. I came home with straight A's. It was good. That A minus, that B plus, that D in algebra. Yes, I did get a D in algebra. Not acceptable. But here's a little insight for you again. And listen to me. Listen. Please let these words ring in your heart. Father God is not disillusioned with you. You know why? Because he never had any illusions about you in the first place. He knows you're not perfect. And so he's not disillusioned with you. I love what Philip Yancey says in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. And what an incredible book. But I quote him. He says, imperfection is the prerequisite for grace. How can you experience and know grace if you're perfect? You can't. Imperfection is a prerequisite for grace. Light only gets in through the cracks. And some of us have some big cracks. And it's okay. That could be taken other ways, huh? <laughs> Just dawned on me. Might have to change after the 1030. Yeah. Well, God cares about your cracks. He cares about your imperfections. And I'll address that again in a moment. But to live free, listen to me. To live free, you must live confident in a God who is bigger than your mistakes. He's bigger than you. To live free, you have to believe that he is so good and so big, so much bigger than you. Here's the second thing. Number two, live forgiven by a Savior who does not condemn you. Live forgiven. Now, obviously, to begin your life as a Christ follower, you accept the forgiveness of God. To begin your life free from shame and guilt is to accept that free gift of God, that free gift of salvation that he offers to us, that he paid the price for us. That's where it begins. But I want to talk again to those of you that have known Jesus for a while, and I'm talking about walking in forgiveness. When I say live forgiven, I mean we walk in it. We live in it moment by moment and every day. And to to live free, we've got to live forgiven by a Savior. 
He's our Savior who does not and has not and never will condemn us. With this woman in John 8, I love this story because Jesus is the only one in that temple, in that temple court, who could have thrown a stone. Did you catch that? He who is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And Jesus is the only one in that room that could have picked up a stone and stoned that woman. Started it. Boom. Yep, I'm without sin. But he didn't. Again, if you're in Christ, you are forgiven. But here's the news that a lot of people don't completely understand. Your past, your present, and listen, your future sins. They're all covered. Your past, okay, I get that. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Your present and your future sins are all covered by him. They're covered by what Jesus did for you on the cross. This is so clearly and consistently taught in Scripture, I could take an hour, I won't, and I'm going to read some Scripture verses quickly, and I'm going to resist the temptation to comment on them too much. But, boy, listen to this. Let the Word of God, let the Word of God just penetrate your heart right now. Romans 4, 7, and 8. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared, cleared of sin. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been, notice the past tense, it's done, have been made right in God's sight, made righteous in the sight of God by faith. We have peace with God. You don't have to live and worry and shame and fear. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Romans 8.1, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No, none, nada, zip, zero. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not before, not now, not ever. If you're in him, you don't have to worry. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Christ never sinned, but God treated him as a sinner so that Christ could make us acceptable to God. He took it all. He paid the penalty so that we could be made acceptable before God. And that's a constant state of, of, of affairs with him. It's not, well, I was acceptable, I'm out of acceptance, I'm now I'm back. No, we are accepted. In 1 John 2, 12, dear children, John says, I'm writing to you because your sins, listen to it, have been forgiven. They have been forgiven because of what Jesus has done for you. When you fail, when you blow it, when you sin, you don't lose your salvation or the love and the affection of our Father. He does not and never will reject you. Now, can you become apostate? Can you turn your back on God and walk away? And yes, I believe you can. That's a whole other topic. But again, as long as you're partnering, as long as you're in Christ, that's why I keep coming back to that phrase, you can live secure. Why? Because Jesus paid the price for all of your sins in full. All of them. People think, well, does that mean I can do anything I want? Nope. And I'll deal with that in just a moment. Yes, God will discipline you. He will correct you. He will chastise you. You can check out Hebrews 12 for that. I won't go there. don't have time. He will. He does. And there's example after example in the New Testament of where God disciplined those whom he loved. But you need never fear being put on some naughty list or fear that if you tell a lie and walk out in the parking lot and get hit by a car or walk out on the street and get hit by a truck and die that you're not going to make it to heaven. And I talk to people all the time who think they're saved, they're unsaved. They're saved, they're unsaved. They're in, they're out. They're in, they're out. And part of why I can relate to it is because the church I grew up in literally scared the hell out of me. And I, and I mean that seriously. I mean, they terrified me. And, and, I, lived, and I, I got saved when I was 11 years old. And between 11 and 15, I must have got saved, quote-unquote, 50 more times. 
Because I knew I was a pretty miserable, lousy teenager. I sinned all the time. And so in church, again and again, the church I went to had altar calls. That means they would invite you, come down front to the altar and kneel before the Lord. And, and I, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I came down to the altar and got saved. Or when the pastor said, if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand. And the next week. And the next week. Because I kept thinking, man, I, I got to get saved again. I, I live with this terror, this fear. But it wasn't until I was 19 years old and went to a little place called Faith Center in Eugene, Oregon. That's a little big church. When I went there, where I began to understand about my position in Christ, and that I am forgiven, I am accepted, I am loved, and it's a constant state now. You and I can live free because we live forgiven. We can walk in it and live in it every moment of every day without fear. Again, listen to me. If you're in Christ, if you're in relationship with him, you are secure, and you need never fear the condemnation of God. Jesus holds no stone with your name on it. He's not holding a rock or a bat or a stick in his hand waiting to whip you. He loves you and he's accepted you. And because of that acceptance, we can run to him when we fail. We don't have to hide. One of my favorite passages is found in Hebrews 4. Let me read it to you. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says, We have a great high priest. He's gone into the heavens. He is Jesus, the Son of God. So let us hold firmly to what we believe. We have a high priest who can feel it when we are weak and hurting. I love that about Jesus. He walked in a, a body, an earth suit, just like we do. He lived here without sin, but he lived here. He gets us. He understands the struggle. We have a high priest who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, but he did not sin. And verse 16 just makes me want to shout, glory. 16, so let us boldly, boldly approach the throne of condemnation. Judgment and harsh fear. No. Let us approach the throne of grace. Then we will receive mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it. The writer of Hebrews says, here's the deal. When you fail, don't bolt from him. Run to him. When you blow it, and you will, don't try to hide your sin. Don't deny it. Don't get self-righteous. Pretend like you've got your act together when you don't. Don't go that way from God. Run to him. Run to him. And you can run. I love the word. You can run boldly. What does that mean? Well, it's back to that confidence. Not self-confidence, but I can run boldly with God confidence that I'm going to find the mercy and the grace that I need. We can live free because we can live forgiven in the shadow of his throne of grace and mercy. And my challenge to you today is leave this place understanding that better than you have before and walk in it. Tomorrow when you fail, come to him. Confess your sin and say, Jesus, thank you. Humbly I come to you again with gratitude for what you have done for me. I don't pray anymore. Oh, Jesus, please forgive me. I don't. Now, if you want to do that, it's, your heart's right, and that's okay. I, I, why don't I pray that? Because I'm already forgiven. What I pray is, God, I confess my sin to you. I, have, I, I, I agree I failed. I humbly admit that I need your help, and I stand grateful to you for all that you've done for me, grateful that I am, in fact, a son, loved and accepted by the Father. That's how you live free from shame and guilt. One more thing, number three, live humbly. Live humbly and obediently for a Lord who wants you to grow. Humbly and obediently for a God who wants you to grow. The last thing Jesus said to this woman was the first thing he commanded her to do. He looked at her, and I'm sure he said it with compassion and kindness and gentleness, but still firmly, he said, I'm, I don't condemn you either, but go your way and sin no more. Go your way and sin no more. Jesus does want us to grow. We are forgiven. We do not need to live in dread of his condemnation. 
We don't need to walk in shame. But God does want you and I to grow. And he wants us to learn from our failures. He wants us to grow through them, not just go through them. He wants us to obey him and to walk humbly in obedience to him. Some, usually the self-righteous, worry that too much talk about grace and mercy will give people a license to sin. And typically, um, when they hear guys like me preach messages like this, they think, oh, there he goes, cheapening grace, talking about cheap grace again, and they get all upset and, and, uh, and a tizzy over it. On the other hand, and I know this, there are some in the church who do abuse grace, and they think they've got their ticket to heaven, and that's no big deal now what they do. They can just go live their merry, uh, their merry, go their merry way. But here's my conviction, and I want to just point out a few things, and I'm going to deal with I don't really have time this morning to unpack this adequately, and I will deal with it in the last message in this series in September in a couple weeks when I talk about living pure. I'm going to deal with this more. But here's my conviction. No one who really understands the Father's grace will think that they can get away with sin. Again, if they understand grace, they're going to know he loves you so much that he will discipline and correct and bring you to where he needs you to be. He's going to carve and mold you into the image of his son. But when you fully get it, when you understand the grace and the goodness of God, then you're going to, that, that, that experience, the more you understand that, the more that's going to motivate you to want to be like him. The reason why I talk about grace so much in this church, and I do, the reason why I land so hard on this today, the reason why I want you to walk out of here grace-filled and grace-bathed and free from shame and guilt is because I know that the more you understand the goodness and the grace and the love and the amazing acceptance and power of God in your life, the more you get what he's done for you, the more that will motivate you to want to be like him, to desire to please him. And, and Jesus doesn't condemn us, but he does call us to walk in holiness. He does call us to honor what we've received, the gift we have from him. I have said it. It's one of our little slogans around here. East Point is a safe place to discover grace. It has been, it is, and it always will be. A safe place to discover grace. But true relationship with God will produce righteousness. Let me say it again. True relationship. Grace-filled, grace-understanding, grace-bathed relationship with God will produce righteousness in you. Not to earn something, not to appease an angry God who's ticked off at you, but in response are you listening to me? In response to his goodness, you will want to be more like him. In fact, the more we fully understand this amazing grace, the more it will motivate you to want to honor all that he's done for you. I love what Wayne Jacobson says about the power of grace in his book. He loves us. It's a great book. And I'm going to quote him. I'm almost done. He says this, Grace allows us to see our weaknesses and failures in the full light of God's love. Now listen carefully to these words. Grace allows us. It helps us. It empowers us to see our weaknesses and our failures, not period, but comma, in the full light of God's love. It encourages us to invite the Father into the darkest places of our hearts and to ask him to change us. When you know grace, when you understand his grace, you'll live free. You'll live free from shame and guilt and fear of condemnation, but you'll also live with a whole new internal, God-inspired, Holy Spirit-driven motivation to want to be like him. When you get it, you'll, you'll get up from the ground when you fall into the dirt and sin, and you'll say, God, I, I'm now going to go my way, and I'm going to try to sin no more because of what you've done, because I'm loved. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Jesus, 
I, I feel like there's so much more that could be said about this. There's so much in the Bible about your goodness and your grace. And I, I honestly feel like I've just scratched the surface today. And that, that's a little frustrating to me, God, because I want these people, I want these people that I love so much to get it, to understand it more deeply than they did when they walked in, and to rejoice more than they ever have before in your goodness. Because, God, we are grace-covered, grace-filled, forgiven, accepted, loved children of the Father. And we don't need to walk under the cloud of shame or guilt. We don't need to live there. We don't need to live with the condemnation that comes from the accuser, from the enemy. We can live free. And that's my prayer, God, that you'd help us get that and see that today. Help us, God. Now keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've been investigating Christianity. And today, by God's grace, something clicked. You got it. You see today, oh, that's what God's offering me, grace. That's what he's offering me, forgiveness. That's his mercy. That's his goodness. And you thought you had to do something. You had to earn it. You thought maybe you had to clean your life all up so that you could get things, you know, i got to deal with this habit, this problem, and then I'll come and become a Christ follower. Nope, that is not the way it works. You come with all your crud, with all your stuff, with all your, your life, the broken parts, the, the unholy parts, and you come and you say, God, here I am. And just as I am, I surrender to you. And as you do, you, you accept. You're, you're surrendering your life and you're, in exchange. You're taking his. And you accept his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. And if that's you, and you know you want to do that today, it's a decision only you can make in your heart. But I'm going to ask you to make this simple prayer yours right now as I pray these words. Father, forgive me for I've sinned. I am desperately in need of your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. And so I come to you right now, humbly admitting that I am that woman. I am that man caught in the very act. I am the one who is keenly aware right now of my sin. And I, and I am amazed at you that in this moment I hear your words. You don't condemn me. You accept me. And what you want is to infuse in me the life of God, to give me the gift of God, grace and forgiveness, new life in you. And so right now, today, Jesus, I accept that gift. Right here, I say yes to you. Now, if that's you, that's what you want in your own heart, say, yeah, God, that's me. That's what I want. And that moment you do, you become a child of his. He's not patching up the old. He's giving you a new life. I know you don't completely understand all of it. It's, I don't completely understand how God could do it, but it's what he does. And you'll begin to understand and grow in it more and more as you walk with him more and more. Lord, thank you for those who made that decision right here or those listening to this online. I pray, God, that today they'd say yes to you and that from this moment on they, know, they would know in their knower that they belong to you forever. I pray it in Jesus' name.